0: I'm going to ask you this morning to begin with a lab, and uh, that lab, even though we've just had our eyes closed for a little period of time, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time. We're not praying. We're, we're, We're going to have a little fun here. Okay, so everybody's closing their eyes now, and I want you to envision your dream vacation, wherever that might be, and I want you to envision what the climate is right now. It might be cold. It might be chilly. It might be uh, just absolute freezing. It might be warm. It might be sweltering. Whatever that is for you, I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine what it smells like. Maybe it smells like the sea or it smells like the mountains. Maybe it smells like flowers. Maybe it smells like you. And I want you now to, to envision where you might be eating your next meal at that dream vacation. What that would be. Would it be inside? Would it be outside? And then I want you to imagine who you'd be with and what you would be wearing. Maybe it's a fur coat, maybe it's a, a swimsuit. Then I want you to envision what you would be talking about. Then I want you to, re- to, to envision, to imagine right now how long you're going to stay there, and it can't be Forever. And I want you finally to imagine what you tell others when you came back. Okay, you can open your eyes. It'd be cool to listen to everything you guys thought about today. But I want you to just imagine all the places that we just traveled. And we just did something that is unique to human beings. I don't know, uh, we can't prove it, but I don't know that your pet cat sits around, well, maybe cats, they do. <laughs> maybe your dog doesn't sit around and envision the future. God has given us so many unique gifts as human beings. We can articulate, we can feel things. We can, we, they're, they're distinctive things that are unique to us as human beings that the animal kingdom doesn't have. And one of them is what we just did, the ability to envision another story. To, uh, to envision another place, to envision a bigger story within our smaller story. We just did a, a fun thing with, with uh, vacations, but it could be anything because in our lives there are stories that are, that are going on in, in the midst of our smaller story. You go to work, you sit in cubicle three and your chair squeaks and the guy in cubicle four you really never cared for. It's a small story. But there's a bigger story because, see, you're there because you've got to supply uh, uh, food for your home. That's a bigger story. Maybe you have kids and you're saving for college and you've got to pay. Them. Oh, that's even a bigger story. And what they may do in their careers. But, see, our story sometimes gets reduced to that cubicle three and Bob next door and cubicle four who you really don't care for in this stupid chair that squeaks every day. And sometimes we have to find ourselves in envisioning and, and capturing the bigger story. Sometimes we do that just to survive. Sometimes we say, man, this, is, this job is getting to me. This house is getting to me. This relationship is getting to me. And we have to elevate our thinking, and we can because God has given to us the ability to do so. I would venture to say to you today that we are designed to live in a bigger story. But the challenge is that life has this gravity that pulls us down to our smaller stories, God, in fact, prepares a story, your story, for you even before you're born. This is how God plans out. This is how creative God and genius God is and the capacity of what, what, who He is and how He can deliver. So before you were born, God said, I've got a bigger story for you to live in. Watch, Psalm 139 verse 16 says it this way that all the days ordained for me, the David is saying as he writes this, all the, or, the days ordained for you were written in your book, God, before one of them even came to be. You see, there's this story that God has written. I know it's hard to tell. I know you're sitting in, at the corner of Macintosh and Ashton. You're sitting in a green chair or a blue chair. They're different all colors. That's about to change, by the way. But there are there are. These moments are like, wow, really? I mean, did God really write this story that is larger than life? He says, absolutely, I did. And I wrote it before you were even born. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's art. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, would you say it with me, Beforehand. Why? So that we would walk in them. The good works, the story, the bigger story. Now, here's here's the proposal that I make. It's the, the key for the entire day. That even though God has written a larger story for your personal life, it doesn't mean necessarily that you'll walk in it. It is possible that I could map out the vacation of your dreams where you're going to stay, what you're going to wear, where you're going to eat, what you're going to eat, who you'll be with, and say, man, here it is, and I'm paying for it. You have the ability also as a human being to say, by choice, I don't think so. I'm not going to live in that bigger story. In fact, I will say to you, after being in the ministry for more than 30 years, perhaps the hardest, saddest thing that I face is seeing people live in a smaller story than God designed them to live in. You see, because when we live in this larger story, we become the best version of who God created us to be. And if we don't live in that story, if we don't navigate, if we don't put effort into finding it, if we don't have the humility to find it, as we're going to talk about today then what happens is that we live a lesser version of who God designed us to be. It perhaps is the greatest human tragedy that we experience. To have this great story for us that God imagined, and yet we live underneath it. That's why a very famous verse in Proverbs 29 says this, where there is no vision, the people wither, they perish. When we live our lives in cubicle three with a squeaky wheel and we can't see that it ties into anything greater, it, it rots us. It withers us. We perish. We come to the end of our life like, like Solomon say. It's all worthless. It's all meaningless. There's nothing big about my life. I'm living this small little story and the message from, from God today is he didn't create you to live in that small story. From John Eldridge, in the absence of the larger story of God, we settle for smaller stories of our own making. Now, when you're listening to those words, like, okay, they're, they're quite inspiring, are they not? And it's like, man, I want to live in that bigger story because I want to be the best version, my best version of who God has designed me to be. But the theme of the Bible is, it is about you, but it's not all about you. (laughs) When God writes these tender words in Psalm 139, man, there's something that tingles on the deepest part of us. There's something that connects like, wow, really, that God would care enough about me personally intimately all 7 billion of us every single one that we compare, care about me that he would write a story that he is designed for me to live it out and it's not whatever profession you may be doing it's not a, it's not about being a pastor or a plumber it's bigger than that and I'm like wow but it's not entirely about me either. It's not entirely about you either, because when you live in the bigger story, the God that has written for you, I promise you that it's always about somebody else. In fact, I'm reading this book now by one of my favorite writers. You've heard me mention his name several times, Will Mancini. His new book is called God Dreams. And in this, there's there's several track stoppers. I'm going to share with you today. This is this one will stop you in your tracks. And when I read, them, I'm like, whoa! What a question! And he poses this question in his book, God Dreams: Are we being good ancestors? Think about that. In other words. For the future generation, am I living a story that's going to make me a good ancestor that those two or three generations or, heck, even one generation that will come after me will look back and say, Steve was a good ancestor. He lived in the big enough story that it affected my life. Because, see, here's how it rolls. We sometimes think, well, I'm just a little water spring." And all I do is I, I just I trickle water, and we miss the fact that that little water spring goes into a creek. And I'm a creek, and I say, I'm just a little creek, and I forgot that I got my water from a little water spring, and all I do is I just trickle out, and I forget that there's a river that I'm trickling to. And then I'm a river, and I think, well, I'm a river, and I've forgotten that it started with a spring and a creek, and I'm just a river, and that's all I do. And I don't see that all my, my life is being dumped into this big ocean. And the ocean says, so I'm just a big ocean. That's all I am, just a big, fat body of water. And I've missed the fact that there was a river that came and played a part in that role, which came from a creek, which came from a spring. And all of a sudden, now the ocean is stuck in its own generation, and it forgets that it evaporates daily, and there's this vapor that's arising, and the vapor says, I'm just a vapor. But the vapor goes into the cloud, and the cloud says, I'm just a cloud. And the rain starts raining, and says, I'm just a rain. And the rain comes down to the trees, and they just say, I'm a tree. And the whole operation that God made is all connected. I'm just a creek. Really? You are not disconnected here in the bigger story. What you do in this story and whether you live out the bigger story could create an enormous story as an ancestor for someone else. Watch this. This is so fascinating and cool. You look at the Old Testament. You have the guys, Moses, and who was considered a prophet, and Isaiah and Ezekiel and all these guys and they knew more than we realize. They were looking for Christ. They knew that God revealed to them instinctively that there was something more to come, that they were bigger, a part of this bigger story. And you could look at Moses and say, man, the guy was you know, a rancher, and then God tapped him, and then you know, he, he did something big, and he said, man, I lived the best version of my life. Isaiah could say, I lived the best version of my life. And they looked intensely for the Messiah, for for this big plan that God had given them, little segments, little pixels to understand. And as you look back at their life, you think, well, maybe they were just living their life for themselves. But watch this. Peter has this amazing commentary on the Old Testament guys. Watch, see if you can track with this. Concerning our salvation, that is the big story of the planet Earth, that God came down in our mess and he saved us. Concerning our salvation, this plan, the prophets, the Old Testament guys, who spoke of the grace that was to come, Jesus on the cross, they searched intently and with the greatest care. In other words, they were going full throttle like, man, when is this going to happen? What's the plan? How's it going to unfold? They were intense about it. Verse 11, first Peter 1. Trying to find out the time and the circumstances, To which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Now before we go on, what what does that mean? That means Isaiah is writing about the Lamb of God in chapter 53. That is, me, that is the psalmist is writing about the king of glory who will come and giving specifics. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's found in the book of Psalms. In other words, the suffering and the glory of Christ, they were looking for it intensely. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When these prophets laid themselves in front of the whole city, it was for you. They were, they were little rivers dumping into your ocean. When Moses freed the Israelites from uh, uh, Egypt and he, and he struck the rock and he, the water came out and when he held up the brazen servant and all the, the Passover and all the pictures, it was a river that dumped into your ocean. I find it fascinating that even these guys, they understood it. Watch. It wasn't that they got into heaven like, oh, I see. Gosh, I was a bigger part of a bigger uh, story. I wish I had done better on earth. It was revealed to them while they were here, verse 12, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of these things that now have been told by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Here's the challenge. If you're like me and I'm like you, the tyranny of the urgent... The tyranny of the urgent draws me in like a vortex to the smaller story. I don't at times think at all about, wow, how is this affecting the next generation? And what am I doing? Man, I'm just trying to finish this stupid project by 430. And to be able to think like, wow, man, I've got to step back. I do not give myself, as a confession, I do not give myself enough time to breathe in the bigger story because of the tyranny of the urgent draws me into the smaller story. How about you? Hey, have you heard of this guy? His name is Stuart Brand. Stuart Brand is building this clock. I want to show it to you. I brought it in a picture. This clock. This clock is called the 10,000-year clock. And he he built it because he was trying to encourage human beings to think of what he calls the long now. The long now. Now, most clocks have a minute hand and an hour hand. This has a century hand and a millennial hand. And it only ticks one time per century. And the cuckoo, not the guy who made it, (laughs) the cuckoo does the cuckoo thing only once every 1,000 years. And his desire was to say, look, think bigger. And these are the words that, that Stuart Brand said, the, the inventor of this 10,000-year clock. Civilization is revving itself into a pathologically short attention span. Think about that. Does that describe your life? It does mine. So now, I want to look at a picture as we, we, we typically do. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to land here in Genesis chapter 12 this morning. Sometimes we jump around. Sometimes we hover. We're going to hover this morning. If you know your Bible and the Old Testament, you'll know that this is the story of Abraham. Now, here's the, here's the beautiful picture that we see in Abraham. It is a story of humility because we end this collection today on Humility. And we we end this collection by talking about the humility of following God's dreams. Because the ambition and the tyranny of the urgent and the things that we want to do in life often draw us into our smaller story. I'll repeat myself by saying you'll never be the best version of who God has designed you to be if you only live in that smaller story and you will not be a good ancestor. You see, Abraham was minding his business as Moses was, as Gideon was, as Peter was, as almost every person doing their thing, whether it was a farmer, a rancher, a fisherman, whatever it was, they were living in their small story. Moses was just out there, probably happy as a lark that nobody had caught him for his murder. He had gotten away with it for 40 years, and he was peaceful and thinking, hey, I can live with uh, animals much more than I can live with people, obviously. And then God shows up. And every time God shows up, He shows up with the bigger story. You see, every time God shows up in your life, and you really sense it, it is with the bigger story. Why? Because he cares about you. He wrote a story that he wants you to walk in, and he cares about the people who will live on this planet after you if we're all still around. And that's what God's heart is. And so when he shows up to Abraham, he's out there in the land of Ur, and and his life is contained. His life is like ours typical and God shows up and say hey Abraham I got a story and I wrote it for you I wrote it for you before you were born and it's gonna blow your mind and it's big oh it's bigger than her it's bigger than the Middle East oh it involved oh it involves you but it involves other people and I'm gonna give you the chance Abraham, because he could have turned him down. I'm going to give you the chance to live out the best version of who I've designed you to be. And I'm going to give you the chance to be an amazing ancestor. Watch. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. God says, let me tell you the big story, Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. Promotion time. That's a big promotion here, going from rancher to a head of a great nation. Wow, that's pretty big. And I will bless you, because I love you, because you, I've written your story. I will make your name great. Wow. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And at that point, you like, wow, this is great for me. And God said, not so fast, it's also for others, and all the people on the earth, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, you amazing ancestor, you. Like, really? Word to God that we would tap in to what dream God has for us, what story God has for us. If you could just see it. I mean, wouldn't that be cool if you could just like, whoa, I just, okay, I'll, I'll live in that. We would do, I, I think I'd live it better if I got it this clear, I would think, I would hope, on a good day. But in order to see this story, guess what's required? Humility. Why humility? Am I just trying to shoehorn this word into this message? Yes. I'm scared. Watch. The opposite of humility is self. The opposite of humility is self. Our agenda, our schedule, our goals, our salaries, our homes, our busyness, our everything, right? That's the opposite of humility. And that that clouds our vision. To, whether, to, to the place that we can't see what God is trying, the story that God is writing. And so it begins, again, right at that point that if I'm going to see the bigger story that God has written, I must lower myself in order to see the, the greatness of God's story. So let me give you a few dimensions of this as we close out this, this, this very long conversation we've had over the last few months about humility. Watch. When God said, I got a big story for you, he begins with something else. We began in verse 2. Now we look at verse 1. Humility, the humility to be able to live in God's bigger story begins with this. The humility to leave behind good things. To leave behind good things. Watch. Genesis 12:1: the Lord had said to Abraham leave drop it exit i want you to leave the two familias your familiarity and your family leave your country leave your people leave your dad's household and go to a land that you don't even know is on the map yet i'm going to take you to the dream i can't give you too much right now same thing with moses same thing with gideon if, if if any of these boys had gotten the full story right up front, they would have ran the other way. And some of them did, by the way, like Jonah. If Gideon would have said, I'm going to put you up against an army. You can't even count them. They're more than the sands on the seashore, the grains of sand on the seashore, and we're going to fight them uh, with, with torches and jars. That's going to be awesome. And so God graciously doesn't tell us all the story up front, does he not? And so this what God is saying here is I, in order to move ahead, what happens is that we're going to have to leave behind good things. Now, it's kind of a given. It's kind of obvious that we have to leave behind bad things. But for the most of us, we, we, we've left some bad things. I know I've left some bad things, and, it, and that takes a bit of toil and, and sacrifice and humility and all that. But let's just set that obvious thing aside because... It is more often for those who follow God, not the bad things that keep us from from God, but the good things that keep us from the bigger story. It is the soccer. It's the piano lessons. It's the schedule. It's the ambition. It's the mortgage payment. It's all those things which are good things. Listen, I'm sure that Abraham's father was a swell guy. What what Abraham was not told I need you to leave Sodom and Gomorrah because the place is rotten So you need to get out of there. It wasn't the story I need to leave for you to leave the family that you love I need for you to leave the place that you love I need you to leave the household that you love probably the house that you grew up in all those good things What is being said here is that I I, that you've got to leave those things behind that are sometimes good Watch this, another track stopper, John Eldridge. Oh, when I read this, I'm like, wow, how do you say it any better? God's invitation, his message to this, this, the invitation to this bigger story is delivered in a context of a tournament of narratives. Now, you like me because I can see the look on your face like, what? (laughs) You got to think about that. We are in a tournament, that means one against another, of stories, narratives. That these smaller stories are beckoning for every single one of your lives, and many of them are good stories. Here's the good thing that I want you to do. Here's the good thing you've got to do. Oh, you must do it. We are in this tournament of narratives because God's got this big narrative that he wants to, for us to roll in, but we're, we're angled at all these other good things. And when I read that, I'm reminded of Jesus. He said this, you cannot, unless you lose, you cannot grow bigger and, and walk in God's dreams. Watch this, John chapter 12, verse 24. This is the principle. The principle is this, that Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless, big word there, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, it remains a small story. It's going to remain this seed. Oh, I so want to hold on to the blank because I love this little vine. I love this vine. It's a good vine. I'm not letting go. And Jesus said, that's fine. You're going to remain a bad ancestor. You're going to remain a lesser version little seed of what God has created you to be. And you think about that. Think of every single plant and every little seed on every single plant held on to the goodness of the vine and never dropped to the ground. All of us wouldn't be here because there wouldn't be enough life to sustain us. But thank God that there were some little seeds that whatever they hold on to go, okay, I'm out. And they fell to the ground. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single little story, a seed. But biggest word of the day. Are you ready? Biggest word of the day. If. There it is. If. It's the most dangerous gift that God gave to us, the gift of if. <laughs> he didn't say when, he said if. But if it has the humility to decrease itself, to die, it produces many seeds. I was just thinking about this. Just pull the stick back, go up to about 50 million miles miles above the the, the, the earth and just look at the the major places where God said, man, I'm about to, I'm about to do something big. Let's start with Adam. When God said, okay, I got this guy, he's a single seed. He's this little story, but man, I need to populate the whole earth. You're going to have to lose a rib. It began with loss. Why didn't God say, okay, well, I made man out of dirt. Might as well make a woman out of dirt. How come we got made out of dirt? That doesn't seem fair. And all the women are like, "Mm mm-hmm, told you. I've been trying to tell you for years. He He had to lose in order for God to do something in that moment. Just think about that. Now here comes another moment. Right here, Genesis 12, this is the beginning of a nation. This is the beginning. We don't have it before Genesis. Not in Genesis 11 or 10 or 9 or 8. God said, man, this is a major pinpoint in the history of time, and then it starts with loss. You're going to have to leave something good. The rib was good, by the way. We all love ribs. Show of hands, right? <laughs> the, the family was good. You've got to leave something good. Then I think about Jesus who came to earth who was not good. He was perfect. But God, in order to do something amazing in the timeline of history, had to lose His only Son so that we would be benefits of our spiritual ancestor, Jesus Christ. Now the church is getting ready to launch. You know, Acts chapter 2 is getting ready to launch and change the world of the Gentiles. But before that happened, there was a man named Stephen that they had to lose, and he was, we're told that he was a good man. And we're told in Acts chapter 8 that good men buried Stephen. Listen, good men bury good things in order for God to exercise, to engage in the bigger story. I wonder what it is that you would have to, what good thing you'd have to bury today in order to live in the bigger story. I bet you there's something. And in order to die, guess what that requires? Say it with me humility. Man, I want to do what I want to do. You remember, most of you probably know this, in 1997, Steve Jobs, he was with Apple and then he wasn't with Apple and all that that story. And in 1997, Apple had lost $1 billion. They were 90 days from being insolvent, broke, out, crushed. Steve Jobs came on the scene. Do you remember what he did? He said, we've got too many products. And he shocked everybody because anybody, when we get into this position, we say, we've got to do more. We've got to do more. He said, no, we've got to do less, and we're going to break all these products down, and we're going to get rid of a lot of them, and we're going to have four products only. One year later, they were no longer in the hole. They had profited $309 million. You see how that works? You see the principle? In order for us to, to to live in this larger story, I promise you there's something good that has to die. Some people call it the blessed subtraction. <laughs> Businessmen all over the world uh, uh, use uh, different terms. Watch, I brought them in for you today. William Urey calls it the power of a positive uh, no. Jim Collins, the stop doing list. Peter Drucker, the systematic abandonment. I like that. You might want to write some of these down. Greg McCallan calls it essentialism. Henry Cloud, necessary endings. I love this one. Michelangelo, the purgation of superfluities. I was just saying that at lunch the other day. In other words, I'm purging the superfluous right? Mies van der Rohe, he was a, a famous architect, has built some of the, the, the greatest uh, buildings uh, in, in, around the world, Ger- German architect. He's, he coined the phrase that less is more And Andy Stanley, a famous pastor in the U.S., says you got to narrow your focus. It's a repeated theme, and it's so easy to understand, but when, I promise you, When God had the conversation with Abraham, you got to leave. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. From Will Mancini, the challenge isn't typically our ability to think big. It's our availability to do so. And so in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4, this changed the world. So Abraham left. It seems so easy to read. It seems so easy in the context of a church service say, yeah, you left, I know the story. But Abraham left, watch, the humility piece, as the Lord had told him. Perhaps the only question you need to ask this morning, I'm not sure if that's you, you have to look in your own heart, is to ask God, what are you asking me to bury, to leave? Good thing right now. What is getting in the way of the best version of who designed me to be? Here's the second thing that's tough when it comes to humility. Let's call it the humility of muscle, the humility of grit, the humility of doing hard things. Again, our selfishness wants to say, hey, I want to do what I want to do. And I don't know if you've noticed here in America, but we have this slight proclivity toward comfort, um, toward the path of least resistance. Somebody asked me yesterday, somebody that I deeply respect, they asked me, why do you think the church is broke, Steve? And I said, well, where shall I start? But let me put this at the top of the list, because in our generation affected by our American comfort, we so often as a church choose to take the path of least resistance. What do you mean I got a disciple? Are you kidding? Walk with somebody for a year more? Are you? You t- <laughs> have no idea what that would take. Oh yeah, I do. Why come? Uh, show up to a small group like twice a month? Oh my goodness! I gotta read my Bible. I gotta praise. I got what? I gotta give. You're not talking about my checking account, are you? (laughs) These are are things that require for us the path of hard resistance. It did not escape God's mind that Moses was 80 and Abraham was 75 when he made the call. As if God were like, ah, doggone, I forgot the, the guy was 75. Jeez. You see, in Genesis 12, verse 4, Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, which means parched, by the way. It's a place where small stories are born and lived out. And he set out for the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land of dreams, the bigger story of God, the place where the Messiah would come. He had no idea this little creek that day, this little creek What ocean God had in mind in this place, this unknown place called Canaan. Okay, what? Canaan. And they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh in Shechem. Now, when you read that, again, it's so easy to read the air-conditioned version of it. And they arrived there. Can I give you a little backdrop? How far is it from Haran to Canaan? Because there were some, you know, back then they didn't have interstates, and the roads were ancient, and there were bandits and thieves and robbers and bad people and hard weather and sandstorms. There was a famine in the story shortly after he left, he went back to Egypt, he went up We're told in Genesis chapter 14 that he had at least 318 servants who probably had wives and probably had kids, so there were at least a 1,000 people that this 75-year-old guy was moving, and they had to be fed, and they had to be watered, just like all the sheep and all the cattle that he, we're told, were brought with him. This is a whole little town that's moving along, led by a 75-year-old man, and you want to know how far it is? 800 miles. 800 miles. On a good day, you're going 20 miles a a day, and that's a good day. My guess would have been more like 10 miles a day with all those people and animals and all that. God understood That it was going to require not only the humility to, to come before God and leave good things, but he understood that it was going to be a selfless act for Moses and Abraham and Gideon and Peter and everybody God calls into the story. It must be a selfless path that will be difficult. If you don't want difficult, then find another version of Christianity because it's not in this book. Robert Brout says these words, and, and it's and truly amazing because sometimes we think, wow, we might give up off the path of living out this bigger dream because of the obstacles. It's never the obstacles. It's the temptation of the path of least resistance. That's why we give up. Don't you remember the Egyptians? Like, oh, man, we had, we had the leeks and the onions, and we had shrimp cocktail back there in Egypt. It was that that was attracting them because it was hard here, sure, but it was that magnetism toward what was easier. I've done it for over three decades. I know I see a pattern of it that it's the exit door that says, come to me right now, I'll take care of you, and we'll make it easy. And there's a lazy boy right outside that door. Okay, I'll go. Robert Brout says these words, we are kept from our goal not by obstacles but by a clear path. To a lesser story there is a cost you've heard me say this before I spent the first half of my life well it depends on how I live how long I live maybe it was more than that but the first half of my life studying to be a concert pianist practicing eight hours a day 364 days a year I took Christmas Day off I did it for a decade And how many people wanted to play the Rachmaninoff, the Beethoven, the Bach, and only practice two hours a day? It didn't work that way. If you wanna play the big story pieces, you have to have the selflessness instead of partying on Friday night, of being up in that practice room. Depends on how bad you want the bigger story. Eric Greitens, who wrote the book Resilience, I've quoted from a number of times, he said, I will not take the easy path because excuses are incompatible with excellence and the bigger story. One more thing and we close. We we, we have to have the humility of leaving good things. We have to have this humility, this selflessness of saying, Even when it gets hard, God, I'm being a good creek for others, and I'm living out that story. But we have to have the humility to see beyond the here and the now. Selfishness draws me. I'll start with myself. I won't speak for you. Selfishness draws me right into the here and now. i got to take care of me. When Adam hid, he was like, "I I don't care about this story anymore. It's it's me. That's where it comes from. It's all about me right now. You see, when Abraham arrived in Canaan, what was not in the brochure is who would be there when he got there. Watch Genesis twelve six. When he arrived, we were told that he arrived in in, uh, in the verse before. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land like, whoa, wait a minute. You didn't tell me that. He probably, when, I, when God said, envision a place it's called Canaan, envision where this is going to be, probably, you know, if you're like Abraham, you're like, oh, it's wide open spaces, man. It's like that movie, Far and Away. Remember that? And they just, they, they, go and claim your own territory. Just put a stake down. It's going to be awesome. He got there and he's like, whoa, there's people here. And they don't like me. And now the here and the now can rob the bigger picture. So he says, um, at the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. How hard was that in that moment? To see people living where God says you're going to be living. That's like it doesn't make sense. So Abraham in humility built an altar there to the Lord Because he couldn't see beyond what he was seeing I'll never forget the time My wife and I were traveling We didn't have kids yet And we were up in North Carolina And uh, it was, uh, we were in a hotel It was about 10.30 at night And we were nestling down for the evening um, And all of a sudden The door springs open They've double booked the room and the guy bolts the door open, you know, he's probably got his luggage and everything. He doesn't like come in gently, but like, boom. And he goes, ah, and we went, ah, <laughs> Abraham was like, ah, and the canines were like, get out, it's our turn. how <laughs> so it felt, man, you're in our hotel room, dude. But God said, "See, I know there are people in your hotel room, and I double-booked it temporarily, but I'm going to give it to you, and it takes humility to trust God. when Canaanites are up in your backyard. It's easy when we're worshiping for me to like, "Oh man, I love this bigger story." But when Ralph in cubicle Four, my squeaky chair, I hate reduces me to a smaller version of what God has designed. I'm like, ah, forget it. And it takes humility for me to be able to see something bigger. I just read about these two guys in a scorching desert heat who were making bricks. And this other fellow comes along and said, what are you doing? First guy was like, really? Really? We're making bricks. Can't you see? It's hot, smelly. The other guy smells worse than I do. Look at my hands. They're rough. They're torn up because I'm dealing with making bricks all day in a wilderness. This is my story. He lived in a smaller story. fellow turns to the other guy. You buy into that? Oh, no. I'm not making bricks. I'm part of cathedrals. You see, these bricks, even though they're just little pieces right now, I'm envisioning what they could be. They're part of building a cathedral, a great wall, a great building, a great structure, a pavement for people to travel on because he was able to see beyond the here and now, and it takes great humility as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 3 now to God who is able to do watch, immeasurably more than your small story would try to convince you of immeasurably more immeasurably more, Would you just say it with me immeasurably more, it's kind of fun to say some of you are not in yet, immeasurably more, exactly then all we can ask are you ready or imagine. That's why Paul would say, according to his power, not yours, that is a work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus through every little creek. Father, we're grateful. We're humbled, actually. humbled that before we took our first breath God there was a story written in heaven about us on earth that just takes a lot God for us to believe to be honest that's a stretch for our human minds And yet, God, for those who have walked with you, those of us who have walked with you, God, we've seen amazing, unexpected chapters that could have only been pre-written. So may we say, in the most simplest way we can, in an adequate way we can, God, thank you for being such a being that writes the stories of every person you've created. God, I pray today for the individuals sitting in this church, the, the people who have big stories written, God, that they would walk in it And that seems so easy to say, God, but it will require most likely burying good things. It will require the humility of selflessness and not taking the path of least resistance. And it will require for us, God, to build an altar because we can't see what we can't see. And as humans, God, you know, we like to see what we can see. Ever how, God, these words land on the runways of hearts in this room, God. Now I'll leave that to you. I now pray for your church. God, I'd, I'd like to pray for this church. In a season, God, where you're giving us and revealing to us the next chapter of your big story, your unique story for this church, your dreams. God, I pray we won't get in the way. That we won't get in the way with resistance. We won't get in the way, certainly, God, with laziness or cutting corners. That we'll see our that we'll see your church, God, as not just an option of many things, one option of many things, God, many narratives in the tournament of narratives but we'll see your church as central to the big story because it always has been. Father, at the end of this collection about humility, to the best of our human ability, God, we we come before you and ask God that we become less today. We become less So that you and your story and your dreams, the dreams of your heart, God, can be lived out through us. We ask it for you, and we ask it, God, for those who come after us. In the name of Christ and for his kingdom, amen.